Well, good morning again, church. This, this morning, if you didn't know, is the last Sunday of the year. The show is coming to an end. For some, for some the show is finally coming to an end. This is the part of the movie where we get the post-credit scenes. Many are hoping that there's not going to be a... No, this is the part of the movie where we get the post-credit um, names. And we are hoping that you don't get a post-credit scene to a sequel to this bad movie of 2021. But for some, it's been a good year. But many of us can together come together and testify that this year, God has tried us. This year, He has tested us. But if we are believers, we know that all of this He did to refine us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, even before I start, I want to say praise God. Praise God for you. Praise God that this morning you are able to gather with us here today. Praise God that His grace indeed has been sufficient for each and every one of us. Praise God that together we can testify God has been faithful. So even as I start, I I do pray for us that these last few days that God would remain gracious to us all. That we would, as we end the year, we would remember, we would look back. And even in the midst of all the difficult circumstances, we would see the good hand of God over everything. So yesterday, Pastor Charles at the Hill shared a sermon. And his sermon title was, Jesus Cannot Be Cancelled. He shared that though many may try and will continue to do so, they will fail because Jesus is unique in that Jesus is 100% God, but he is also 100% man, untainted by the sin of Adam, and he was perfect in his obedience to the Father. Pastor Charles went on to say that this Jesus is the Messiah King who came to save mankind and he cannot be canceled like any social media trend. He cannot be canceled like a celebrity today. He cannot be canceled like a popular controversy. He cannot be canceled because Jesus is God, full of grace and truth. But here at Acadia yesterday, we considered the fact that your race matters. It matters to what race you belong to. And no, I'm not talking about black and white. I'm talking about the only races that we have as revealed in Scripture. It's either you're of Adam's race or it's either you're of Christ's race. These are the only two races that exist. And in fact, these are the only two races that will matter on that last day as we stand before the judgment seat of God. He will ask the question, to which race do you belong? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? We considered yesterday that for in Adam we are all sinners. We will die separate from God whilst in Christ we are made righteous and will be raised to new life and have grace upon grace. So it's off the back of these two sermons that this morning I'd like to challenge us. I'd like us to focus on the holiness of Jesus in his time here on earth and his command that we follow in his footsteps. So if you take notes, our title this morning is Living Like Jesus, Our Perfect Example. So if you're not there already, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll start our reading from verse 18 to verse 25. 
First Peter chapter 2, and we'll start reading from verse 18 till verse 25. Verse 18 reads, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it? If when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, church, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. In verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like a sheep, but now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So God, this morning as I preach your word, Lord, I do pray that, Father, you would sanctify my mind and my heart, Lord, by your spirit. I pray, God, that I would speak as one who's been sent by you. Lord, help me to speak that which you've revealed to me by your spirit in your word. God, I pray that I wouldn't be a distraction to anyone in this room, but that, God, everyone who has gathered here this morning is asking themselves the question, God, what is it that you want to teach me this morning by your word? and by your spirit. God, I'm only your servant. So God, I pray that you'd help me to be clear. Help me, Lord, to speak with boldness. Help me, Lord, to speak with great confidence in the God in whom I believe. And God, even in the beginning of this sermon, I want to say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus, who is our perfect Savior. Thank you for Jesus, who is our perfect example. So God, I pray as we go through this sermon that you would convict us, Lord, if, if we have been living for ourselves, if we have been following somebody else outside of Jesus. Lord, correct us today, rebuke us today, help us to repent, to again come to that point where we say, Jesus, help us to live like you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. The first thing I'd like us to consider this morning is a call to suffer for goodness' sake. A call to suffer for goodness' sake. Have you ever worked for a horrible boss? Or are you currently working for a horrible boss? Don't worry, I won't ask you to point them out if they are in this room. But I want you to think about are you working or have you worked for a horrible boss? Do you remember that season of your life where every time you think about this person, you were just filled with bad memories? This person couldn't, because of this person, you couldn't sleep at night. And when you remember the season of life where you worked for this person, all you said was, oh, oh, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would kill them. Do you remember that season of your life? Or maybe you have children, or maybe you are that child, or your child has shared with you about their teacher, or maybe they lecturers in university, and how these people have been treating them unfairly. And your child, or maybe you are the one saying these words, you are saying, look, I don't like my lecturer, I don't like my teacher, because I don't think they like me. 
They treat me unfairly. Mom, dad, what should I do? Maybe if you work for that horrible boss, maybe you found yourself in that place. God, murder is a sin, so what should I do? Peter helps us. To, he helps us with the response in our passage. Peter's response to these type of people in authority, he's, he gives us a, what I'd like to call this morning, a counter-cultural response to adversity. And this countercultural response comes when we have the mind of Christ. Consider again verse 19, verse 18 and 19. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What Peter is saying here is true Christians are those who have the mind of Christ. It's those who are mindful of God, and because they have the mind of Christ, they show goodness towards others regardless of that person's character. Church, this is what we call integrity. Integrity is doing good even when no one is watching. It's doing good even when no one is going to join you in doing good. Do you remember Joseph? In Genesis chapter 39, it says about him that the, Lord, that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of of his house and put him in charge of all he had. You see, the Egyptian master saw that this was a man of integrity. This was a man who feared God. This was a man who sought to do good. But who was this man? This man was Joseph. Joseph was a man who was stolen from his home. He was sold by his brothers. He was so far away from home and his family. He was made a slave. And all of this because he shared a dream that God gave him. Joseph could have easily responded and said, God, you gave me the dream and because of you I'm in this situation. God, take me out of it. But he didn't. He does not respond sinfully, and he doesn't respond sinfully regardless of the fact that he was treated sinfully. His persecution only revealed that Joseph was a man that loved God. His persecution only revealed that Joseph was a man who honored the Lord, for in all of this, Joseph did not sin against his God. How often have we as Christians allow the sinfulness of others affect our Christ-like witness towards them. In other words, how often have we allowed the sin of others to change our character in Christ and lead us to also, excuse me, reciprocate in sin? When we are reviled, we revile back. When we are pushed, oh man, we push even harder. When we are sinned against, oh boy, we sin all the more. Church, it's easy to do good to those who do good to you. It's easy to love those who love you. I mean, it's easy to care for those who care about you. But the sermon this morning is what about those who don't care about you? What about those who don't love you? 
What about those who don't do good deeds towards you? How often do we do good deeds to others dependent on who the others is? I'll do good for you, but for him, certainly not. This morning, I'm calling us to look to Christ. Look to Christ. His perfect, holy character was seen in that he was unjustly treated like a criminal. And when he was unjustly accused of a crime, he did not commit yet. He did not respond in hostility. Because he had the will of his father in mind. He had the mind of God which we'll look at further in the sermon. Church, kingdom work requires kingdom minds. And a kingdom mind is the mind of Christ that we are called to share in as believers. As believers, we're called to share in the mind of Christ. In verse 19, it says, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Thomas Watson, I have it on the board there, says, Christianity is not the removal of suffering, but the addition of grace to endure suffering. Listen to this. Endure suffering triumphantly. We can overcome the troubles of this age with joy because of the Spirit's gift of perseverance and endurance. Peter would go on to say in verse 20, For what credit is it when you sin, and are beaten for your sin, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord. What Peter is saying is, it's not praiseworthy when you are being scolded for your sin. But rather, he's saying, he clarifies, the gracious thing is when you endure suffering for good. When your good deeds are met with hostility, it is good to endure for the sake of Christ so that in your endurance it is Christ that is being glorified and not us. But it is fitting to ask the question that if this is our calling, why then God have you called us to suffer? Jesus, if, you, if, if, if this is God, you are calling us to such a difficult life, it is fitting for us to approach the scriptures and say, why are we called to this life of suffering? And Peter helps us with the response, which is my second point. The example from the perfect Savior. The example from the perfect Savior. Church, it is because Jesus suffered for us that we are to live as he did. We are called to a life of suffering because we are bearing the name of Christ, because we are carrying in us light in a world that is full of darkness. So suffering is a guarantee for all who believe in the name of Jesus. Jesus in John chapter 17, as MacArthur would share, his commission he parallels Jesus in John chapter 17, he parallels his commission with our commission. Jesus was sent into the world, likewise we are sent to go into the world. And in verse 19 he says, For their sakes I sanctify myself, myself that they themselves also might be sanctified in truth. The difference is that Jesus sanctified himself. But church, we desperately need him to be sanctified or to be made holy. And that's what suffering does. It sanctifies us into the image of Christ. 
So therefore, if God is calling us to be sanctified, we also need an example of what the sanctification looks like. What does it look like to be holy as the Lord your God is holy? Well, this morning, I want to give us the answer. It's simple. Look to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 17, it says, He is the perfect example of sanctification. He was holy and innocent and undefiled, never did anything wrong, never violated any command, any expressed will of God's, any expression of God's will or law, he did not violate. Peter goes on to outline this in our, in our sermon this morning. In verse 22, firstly, we see, that Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to, sing, to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. In Hebrews 7 verse 26 it says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. He was holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Praise God that the holiest man to ever live, the man without sin or blemish, the man who fully pleased the Father, the man who satisfied the full wrath of God is our Savior. When we look to this Jesus, we can say, this is Jesus, my Lord. He is the righteous Lamb of God who atoned for my sins. Our Lord's obedience stands in the place of our sins. His law-keeping is counted as the law-keeping of us who have faith in Him. R.C. Sproul wrote again, I have it on the screen there, he said, in a life that spanned three decades, our Lord never entertained a thought. He never uttered a word. He never carried out an action that was defiled by impure motives. He always honored his father in heaven. He always honored his earthly father and mother. Never lusted, never uttered a word in sinful anger. Never gossiped about or slandered his neighbor. His neighbor. He never stole. He never lied. He never coveted. In short... He submitted to every commandment of the law of God without wavering. He loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loved his neighbor as himself. The scriptures bear manifold witness to this truth. And this is one of the most profitable truths upon which we as a church ought to meditate. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, this Jesus, it said that Pontius Pilate looked at Him and said, I find no fault in this man. And yet, He still allowed them to take Him custody. In verse 23, we read uh, the, the second thing. Verse 23, He says, When Jesus was reviled, He did not revile in return. 
You know this story. In Easter, we share it constantly. Jesus was flogged. He was mocked. They spat at him. They, they called him a blasphemer. They pulled his beard and pierced his side. They mocked him with the purple robe and crown of thorns. They shamed him. And Peter, whilst his Savior was being carried away, whilst his Messiah, his leader, was being carried away like a criminal, he watched and denied him three times. And on the third time, this Peter even use strong language in denying the Savior. It is this same Peter, as he writes these words, remembering that when Jesus was reviled, he didn't revile in return. Jesus, I mean, Peter, when he writes this, he says, our Lord endured being taunted. He says when he reviled, he did not revile in return. Peter remembers vividly the, the abuse of the Lord our God and endured it. And Peter takes to mind that my God endured it unlike me. We too can say that our God endured this persecution unlike us. For Jesus did not return evil for evil. Instead, number three, when he suffered, he did not threaten Jesus, in the midst of his suffering, was able to utter the words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. When I read these words in my flesh, I ask the question, how? How is it that Jesus in his fleshly body is able to endure this pain and still cry out to his Father and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And as in the flesh, I ask myself this question, Peter gives me an answer. For Jesus continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's where our hope is to lie. Our hope is to lie in God. Our hope in suffering is that God is making us more like Jesus. Our hope in suffering is that God is with us. Our hope in suffering is that God's Spirit is right there with us, empowering us to endure and to persevere the suffering of this age. Jesus, He is receiving glory through our testimony in this season when we suffer. And He will judge those who persecute us for the sake of, righteous, for the sake of righteousness. Our responsibility as a church is to trust in Him who is able to heal this ailing body. Church, the seemingly worst thing that the world can do to you is to kill you. But praise God, even in that, it is by his stripes that we are healed. Peter is talking here to the suffering saints who are afraid that, that they were going to be killed, who are afraid that they might die in the face of persecution. And Peter writes to them and says, Church, even in killing you, they are not winning. Even in killing you, they won't destroy you, for death is but the pathway to glory for the believer, for this body will be restored by the Lord our God on the glorious day. And on that day, as I mentioned yesterday, I want to remind us today there will be no suffering. All the aches and pains we experience today will be gone. Death will be no more. He will wipe away all the tears and we will gather together as people from different tribes, nations, and languages, gather together with a great shout and say, salvation belongs to the Lord our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
This morning my question is, do you believe this? Not just as theory from a theoretical book, but do you believe it as truth from the revelation of God? Church, when God is done with us, when the Spirit brings this process of sanctification to completion, we will look like this Jesus. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 to 3, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, praise God, we will be like Him, because we will see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. So church, whilst we wait for that day, we are called to walk like Jesus walked. He walked a perfect divine life. He walked decently. He walked worthily. He walked in integrity. He walked in humility, purity. He walked in contentment. Jesus walked in faith. He walked in good works. He walked in separation, in love, in light. Jesus walked in wisdom and in truth. So he's calling us today to walk as he did. So in case you missed it, this sermon is a call. It is a plea. It is a cry to us as a church to look to Jesus and be like him right now in your current season of life. The call is to be more like Jesus, to know Jesus, and to consider knowing Jesus to be worth more than any other thing on this earth. My prayer for you is that you would have the desire like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul who said, and we know this, but he said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as dung. Why? In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that came from the flesh, but that which comes through faith in Jesus, the righteousness from God which depends on faith that I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection that we may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. May we have this desire like the Apostle Paul. Lastly, there is a reward, the immeasurable rewards of his suffering. Verse 24 says, He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. In this sermon, we have examined, we have observed the character of our Savior. And this morning, I'm challenging you to holiness. Let us no longer excuse our sins. Let us no longer make way for sin to have a foothold over our lives. Church, the challenge this morning is to holiness. Christ bore our sins so that we would die to our sins. Not that so we could live comfortably in our sins knowing that we have a ticket to heaven, but so we could die to our sins today and live to righteousness. 
He, he, he has called us to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death your sexual immorality. Put to death your impurity. Put to death your passion, your evil desire, your covetousness, which is idolatry. Because on the, on the account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Put away your anger, put away your wrath, put away your malice, put away your slander, put away your obscene talk from your mouth. Church, stop lying to one another. Stop um, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of, of its creator. And interesting, Paul adds verse 11. He says, here there is not Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarians, uh, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. It doesn't matter who you are, put to death your sin. Old, young, whatever ethnicity you're from, put to death your sin and live in righteousness as God has called you. Church, do not grow weary of doing good. I'm a sinner just like all of us in this room. It's hard to do good in a sinful world. But church, do not grow weary of doing good. Do not grow weary in your battle against sin. In whatever season of life you find yourself, whether you're a new believer as a baby in Christ, or whether you've been a believer for many years and mature, that whether you're a student, whether you're a working person, whether you're retired, or whether you're an elderly person, church, there is a war to be fought, fight. But I want to encourage you. That we're not fighting, not knowing what the result is going to be. We know that there is victory. Fight to the glory of Christ to be holy as he is holy. There is victory because Christ has said, Behold, the new has come. You can put your lying to death. You can put your slandering tongue to death. You can put pornography and premarital sex to death. You can put your anger to death. You can put to death your worshiping of anything other than God. You can put that to death. You can put to death your bitterness. You can put to death your lust. Because your new self is being renewed into the likeness of Christ because the Spirit of God lives within us. Be encouraged, friends, that this is not a work that we're doing alone. It is a work that God is doing in us and through us. This is a work of Christ in partnership with us. We can work out our salvation because Jesus has worked for our salvation. We can abide in the vine because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Day by day, he's removing our spots, our blemishes, so that on that glorious day, he can present us to himself as pure. As we walk down that altar, as we come toward Jesus, we will come as pure because of his finished work on that cross. Praise God that our lives have been permanently changed by our identification with Christ on the cross. We can and we, we, we can develop a passion for the Lord that is greater than the passion of our sins. We often sing the song, Though some should curse me for your name, 
I have no fear, I have no shame. For you stand with me for all my days, my ever only Jesus. I want to know you, Jesus my Lord, King of the heavens, King of my soul. I trade my treasures and all my rewards, Jesus, to know you then, know you more. Church, to close, in Jesus we have a shepherd to care for our souls. In Jesus we have a great high priest who is interceding for us. In Jesus we have an advocate with the Father. In Jesus we have an avenger from our persecutors. In Jesus we have our perfect righteousness. In Christ we have the God of all comfort. We have a righteous judge and a loving Savior. So church, trust in Him. Abide in Him. Learn from Him. Draw near to Him for the salvation for the nourishment and for the oversight of your soul. Ask this Jesus to help you become more and more like him. For verse 25 says, as we close, for you were, past tense, you were straying like sheep, but now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving our souls. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are making us more and more like you. And Lord, as we read in your word, that that day when we see you, we will become like you. Oh, Lord, I long for that day. But God, whilst we wait, remind us day by day that, God, our citizenship is in heaven. God, we are pilgrims on this earth. Lord, help us to not dig our tent pegs too deep into the ground, thinking that this is where we're going to stay forever. But God, our home is in glory, where our Savior is. I pray, God, that as we live on this earth, that God, you would challenge us to want to be like Jesus. Father, as I close, I do want to pray that, God, if there's someone in this room, Lord, who who, Father, is caught up in sin. God, if there's someone in this room who's been enslaved to sin, God, whether it's lying, whether it's premarital sex, whether it's stealing, Lord, whatever it may be, Lord, you know it and they know it. God, I pray that you convict their hearts, their hearts, Lord, and rebuke them of their sin. And Lord, I pray that you give them the boldness to repent and the power to repent from their sins. Lord, remind them that, Lord, we no longer are slaves to sin, but we are now slaves to righteousness. The chains were broken when Jesus said it is finished and he rose from the dead. God, help us to not claim to be Christians, but live like the world. God, I also want to pray for those in this room who are just struggling from the effects of sin. Father, either sickness in their bodies or either, Lord, the death of a loved one or either, Lord, just some sort of persecution in the world, in the workplace, at school or, Lord, maybe even conflict within family. God, this morning, I want to pray for them as well. God, remind them that there is hope in Jesus. 
Remind them, Lord, about the power of the gospel. That, Lord, it is able to change hearts. Remind them, God, that it is possible for us to do good to those who do evil to us. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile back. Let God also remind us of your grace, which is sufficient. That, God, even though we may be suffering, Lord, because of the effects of sin, because we've seen death or because we are aching, I pray, I pray, Lord, that you remind us that in you, Lord, you have given us the grace to endure. God, we can persevere, but not just persevere, but we can persevere triumphantly and we can persevere and endure with joy because of the Spirit of God who lives within us. But lastly, Lord, I want to pray for the person in this room who does not know you. Oh, Lord, won't you save them today? God, won't you draw them to yourself by your Spirit? Won't you show them this great and glorious Christ, our Savior who died on the cross for our sins, that all who believe in Him and in Him alone will have life and will have life eternally. So God, I pray that that would be someone's testimony today. That Lord Jesus, today I believe in you. Today, Lord, I want to die to my sins and live in righteousness. God, I also just want to end this sermon by saying thank you. Thank you, God, that it is possible to live like Jesus. Thank you, God, that we can behold Jesus like in a glass. God, may we never lose that sense of awe for how great our God is. In Christ's name I do pray. Amen.